I want to ask you the question, have you ever been egged on? Now, I don't mean, you know, someone's egged you. I mean egged on to do something. Has anyone ever said to you, go on, you can do it? You ever had that scenario? Have you ever watched, you know, a sporting event and seen... Uh, oh, this is not the correct PowerPoint. Um, that's okay. 12A it should be, but that's fine. We don't need the PowerPoint. That's just bonus. Um, I can remember playing in football matches, and now you might find this hard to believe, but my role <laughs> in the team was kind of like the enforcer. Um, I was the, you know, the crash, bang, wallop kind of guy. And so sometimes the manager would go, go on, Aaron. And I would like, I'm not proud of this. But I would smash someone, and that was like, that is genuinely the terminology. It would be like, bang. And then, actually, it would change the whole game. Again, not necessarily proud of this, but that was my role in the team. I didn't ever intentionally hurt someone, but something in that, it was like, oh, let's go, come on. And, it, and everything changed. And you see that if you watch, I mean, now football's changed a lot. But if you watch, you know, from the 90s, Roy Keane was my favourite player. He would just, sometimes, it, he recently said in an interview, sometimes I was playing badly, and so I would just put in a big tackle on someone just to do something in the game. And you could see it when he, in the games. A big tackle would go in, and the crowd, whoa, the rest of the team, come on, we can do this. It, it spurred on, egged on. In... Uh, Seattle, is it, have you, are you on to the other one? In Seattle, which I've got uh, relatives who live in Seattle, the American football team there, the Seattle Seahawks, they did a big push about the 12th man. So on an on a, uh, American football team, like normal football, there's um, 11 players on the field at any one time. They have about 50 players on the actual team that swap in and out, but that's a different story. And so they, they really bigged up this idea of the 12th man which was the crowd. The 12th person in, the, in the, sort of the team was the crowd going, come on, you can do it, stop them. You know, and they have all their different cheers that they do, and that's encouraging. And in this passage today, we kind of see a little bit of that. We see a little bit of that, the, the benefit of encouragement, the benefit of someone cheering you on from the sidelines. So we're going to read uh, from Hebrews 12. Uh, and we'll read the whole thing, and then we'll sort of divide it up into three Three sections. Uh, so if you've got a Bible and you can beat me there, we're going to Hebrews 12. We're going to read from verse, verse 1 to 17. Therefore, remembering all that we learned over the last couple of weeks, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he 
he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It's for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which we have all participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Beside this, we have earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands, strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it many become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. How often do you consider Jesus? We did it a little bit this morning, didn't we? How often do we consider Jesus? This morning, I want us to consider Jesus in these contexts, what the witnesses say, what he has done, and what he shows us. Because of what Jesus has done, we live in the benefit of a superior relationship. When we look at these witnesses, we consider what the witnesses say about Jesus. One thing that we note is that they're referred to as a cloud of witnesses. In the last chapter, last week, we looked at all of these different stories of people who are heroes of the faith. And then when we look at Jesus, he's a son. He's not just a hero of the faith. He's the son of God. That's significant, isn't it? We live in the benefit of a superior relationship. So we're going to consider Jesus in these ways. <coughs> Excuse me. We need to look to and consider Jesus. The first section of this passage says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of God, the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. We talked a few weeks ago, just that last verse, about the idea of resisting temptation, feeling the force of temptation. Have you ever resisted temptation to the point that you've shed blood? That's quite extreme, isn't it? I'm not going to give in to this temptation to the extremes of I'm going to bleed over this. I'm willing to pour out my blood for this. How often do you consider Jesus? That came through massively this morning, didn't it? 
look upon the cross where you died, when I survey the wondrous cross. I want to ask you, this, that's a powerful moment this morning, powerful moments. How often do we do that during the week? It's not good enough. It's not, it's not sufficient for us to just do that on Sunday mornings when we're together. Let's consider for a moment those heroes of the faith. What do they tell us about him? They're, they're referred to as witnesses. They're telling us something about Jesus. Jesus is the superior fulfillment. He's the one who's betrayed by one of his brotherhood, murdered, and whose blood speaks beyond his death. It refers to Enoch who pleased God. Actually, when Jesus was baptized, God said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Which is also how we know that God speaks with a Cockney accent. It's my son in whom I'm well pleased. Um, And even though he tasted death, it couldn't hold him. Enoch didn't, you know, it says he was taken. What that means exactly, I'm not entirely sure. But Jesus, he tasted death, but death couldn't hold him. He's superior Noah created a provision of salvation for some people. Jesus himself provides provision for salvation for any who will come to him. Abraham was told that his descendants would be innumerable. Jesus' descendants are the church in some ways. Moses leads his people toward the promised land out of slavery. But he never makes it there himself out of slavery. (laughs) That's a good one. (laughs) He preferred the sweets. Um, Moses leads them out of slavery towards the promised land, but he never quite gets there himself, does he? Jesus has gone before us and he's preparing a place for us. Moses left, it says he left, the, he discarded the riches of Egypt in order to be among his people. Jesus left the glory of heaven. That passage that Marion read earlier, I was going to read out. Um, he made himself nothing, taken on the nature of a servant, humbled himself to death. King of glory humbles himself to death. And death on a cross, uh, we've said this before. If you can get hold of a copy of it, I think it's called The Crucifixion, Understanding the Death of Jesus Christ. I'm not sure I agree with the whole book. It's a big tome. But the section on understanding what crucifixion is like, it's by a lady called Fleming Rutledge, it's, it just it changes your concept. This was not just you know, a neat and tidy execution. This is a form of torture and punishment that's meant to degrade someone. They're meant to, it's meant to make you less than human, appear less than human to people. Jesus gives a superior blessing with his dying breath. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. One of the last things that Jesus ever said As he's dying, he blesses with forgiveness. 
Let's consider Jesus. When you read the Bible, do you think, what does this piece of scripture, what does this tell me about Jesus and what Jesus has done for me? It needs to be a, a constant question in our mind. Why do we do that though? Why do we consider Jesus? Why do we think about it? It's up there, isn't it? Consider him so that we may not grow weary or faint-hearted. There's a cloud of witnesses. There's a twelfth man. Twelfth person, maybe. He's a, no, it's not just the men I'm talking about. But there's a crowd cheering you on. There's a crowd saying, come on. So let us also lay aside every weight and sin which might hinder us from running. Let's do what they did. Let's run the race before us. Now, your race will be different to mine. They might be very similar because we're at the same point in history and we're in the same town and we're sort of, you know, we're living in similar areas. But some of our, if we look at back at chapter 11, some of those races, they, they ended, the finish line was being sawn in two. And some of their, some of the races finished with toppling kingdoms or receiving people back from the dead, seeing resurrections. Run the race that God has set before you. It might be to go to Zimbabwe like Matthew has done, Matthew has done, and do that. That might be your race. Or your race might be to be in a difficult situation and honour God every day and think, oh, this is hard. But I'm going to honour God. I'm going to follow God. I feel, I feel like I'm being torn in two but I'm going to honour God. It says to lay aside every weight and every sin. I think, there's, there's, I think that's a helpful thing to think about. There are, there are things that we do that are wrong, sins. And actually we need to, need to lay, us, lay them aside. Say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to turn away from that and I'm going to follow God. And there are weights. There are things that they're not sinful, they're not wrong in any way, really, but they can become weights. I don't know if you've ever run with a weighted vest. It's hard work. Some people are nodding. I can see they're sort of like, they're nodding with a little grin on their face. It's hard work. I, um, <laughs> when Millie, just after Millie was born, I thought, oh, you know, this might be my last chance to play properly some football um, once I'm into the dad mode of, of life, which or I already was, I was too late really. But I went back to, to playing with a, a, a team that was you know, a, a better standard than I'd been playing with. Um, and some friends of mine who I'd played with when I was younger um, played in that team as well. And one of them said to me, what's happened to you? You used to be able to jump high. Because um, you know, I'm not a tall guy, um, as was pointed out to me this week. But... Um, I used to be able to jump really high, like genuinely, it was quite good. Um, like this sort of thing, you know, like I, I was always the best in my team, even though there were people who were like six foot, whatever. Vertical jump, I was really good. So someone said, what happened to you? You used to be able to jump so high. And I said, imagine you were jumping with like one or two toddlers on you. I said, that's what's happened to me. <laughs> I, I, I'm like carrying some toddlers around inside. Um, 
we need, to, we need to lay aside, don't we, every weight that hinders us. It's not necessarily bad things. But what hinders you? <laughs> you okay, Terry? <laughs> Maybe the air is really hot, I don't know. Um, but I just want to just for a moment just reflect. Has there been a time when you were really on fire for God? If you understand my vernacular, you're really going for it. I just want to ask you the question. What happened to you? You just had to jump so high. Got a little bit stodgy. I can remember a, a lady called Angela Kem, who is very prophetic. She was, uh, came and prayed for uh, the leadership team of the church. And she basically takes turns in reducing people to, to tears in about two seconds. But she sort of began to pray for me and she, she put her hand on my chest and she said, oh, it's all a bit stodgy, isn't it? And that's it. I was, no, and I was, it was like, but not in a physical sense, in a spiritual sense. And I, I was, hey, nailed it. It's, it's, it's gone stodgy. Actually, we need to be fit. We need to get strong. We need to lay aside every way. What are you, what's holding you onto you or you sort of carrying that you think, actually, I don't need that. I can just get rid of it. We need to give the best of our time to Jesus. I want to lay a challenge before you. Maybe this, this week, every morning when you wake up, find a clip that, you know, a, a sort of an audio clip or a little video clip on YouTube that really sort of focuses your attention on Jesus. You know, the My King by S.M. Lockridge, you know, that famous prayer. Listen to that, five minutes, at, first thing in the morning or as soon as you can in the morning. You know, if you've got small children... Uh, sometimes you don't always get to have that first bit of the morning, but maybe you could, maybe just five minutes, you could just listen to that or listen to, uh, a, you know, a reading of Romans 8 or something. Consider what Jesus has done. Consider him that we might jump higher, run faster. Consider Jesus as the example of relationship with the Father. This is just a stock image of uh, two people, so I don't know who they are. Is there, this, is, this is the, you know, we're father and son, child. I think sometimes son is an important word because, it, you know, in the context it conveys certain rights and this is what's being communicated. We, we enjoy that relationship of unhindered access to the Father. We've looked at that previously we can approach the throne of grace with confidence i'm here dad i need some help that's that's our approach now there needs to be reverence but these things need to be held in in some kind of tension do you want to experience the bond of sonship of of adoption of, of be a child of the father do you want to experience that we should want to this is our experience. Romans 8 says this, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. 
provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Experiencing sonship means experiencing discipline. Next section of our passage this morning says this. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Beside this, we had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields peaceful fruit, the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So I'm buzzing. I'm not sure if I've messed something up here. Is that fine? Okay. It might be mine. The, the, I use it as a stopwatch. I'm not texting someone. Um, Discipline proves the authenticity of relationship. In a sense, even Jesus experienced discipline. He was perfect, but he experienced discipline. Hebrews 2, verse 9 and 10 says, But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone, for it was fitting that he, by whom and, uh, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Jesus was made perfect through suffering. Jesus, or, Jesus was perfect, but he was made perfect through suffering. A, in, in some sense, there's a discipline that occurred, a training almost of Jesus, where Jesus disciplined himself. I think discipline is a difficult concept maybe in our culture. We don't like it. Um, but I want, want to just say there's two kinds of discipline, I think, at least. There's discipline that's punishment and there's discipline that's training. So uh, as a child, you know, uh, my parents were fans of the stick as a form of discipline, uh, which, you know, <gasps> seems horrific, doesn't it? That we were actually, you know... A, Hey, put your hand out. Whoosh. Painful. I understand, you know, my mum my and dad, they didn't get it right every single time. But I understand what they did it. And I respect, this passage says, we respect our parents for it. I respect my dad for the discipline that he gave to us. I know he didn't get it right all the time. He knows he didn't get it right all the time. But I still understand it. That's discipline for punishment, isn't it? Told a lie. You need to know, you, if you tell a lie, something bad's going to happen. Whoosh. Help me not to tell lies so, so often, or be better at them when I did. Um, <laughs> I was very well behaved. I was like so well behaved compared to my, <laughs> to my brothers, so it's okay. Um, but sometimes, you know, if you join the army, as you know, some people in here have been in the army, 
you haven't done anything wrong, but you're going to be disciplined. It's not like, well, you shouldn't have joined the army. We're going to make you run five miles. No, it's you need to be disciplined. We need to train you. We need to get you into shape so you can be effective. So that when we say you need to carry this thing five miles, you go, yes, sir. Pick it up and carry it. I'll try and stand still. <laughs> Discipline is huge. It's massive. It's so important. And I think it's something that we... It's something that culturally isn't, isn't on trend, discipline. I think in certain circles it is, and it's almost like over the top. Like, it's discipline to the point where, like, you're weighing every gram of food that you eat. You know, that's, that's discipline run amok in some ways, unless, you know, you're an elite athlete training for whatever reason. Um, but discipline trains us for bigger and better challenges. A little bit of discipline here. You know, you go on these runs. Okay, you go on these runs. You're preparing. You know, you do your basic training. That's for the purposes of being able to fight in the war. Yeah? Discipline is important. Effective discipline has to be learned from. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Sometimes we experience discipline and God's disciplining us and he's disciplining us and we're not learning. We're not being trained by it. We're just thinking, oh, this is awful. God, why are you letting this happen to me? And he's going, I'm trying to train you. I'm trying to, I'm trying to get you to understand this thing so that you can be effective over there for this thing that I've got you to do this task that I've got you to do, you need to be trained in this way to be able to do that. And instead of learning and being trained and understanding, hey, this is God showing me I'm his child. He has, he has adopted me. I'm experiencing discipline. I'm a legitimate child. He's, he's working in my life. This is great. Instead of that, we go, oh, this is so horrible. This is hard. It, it might be horrible and hard, because it says discipline is not pleasant at the time. It's painful. But it's not always just painful. It's training as well. It's, pre prepa it's preparing us for something. Sometimes I ask my children to do things. For the, like They might think it's a punishment. But it's like I'm asking you to do this as a, because I want you to be obedient to me. So I'm preparing you. So I want you to do this thing. Well, have I done something wrong? No, no, no. But you, you still need to you know, tidy up, help tidy up, even though you didn't make the mess. That's always the, the bone of contention. I didn't make the mess. You're still going to help tidy it up. Effective discipline has to be learned from, doesn't it? Proverbs talks about uh, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. What does that mean? It means that if someone's just flattering you all the time, if not, someone never challenges you or says anything that you dislike, think, well, are these kisses from an enemy rather than wounds from a friend? You know, Andy and I have had some robust conversations <laughs> at times. But he's my brother. He's my friend. So I, d I don't mind if he says something and you think, I think, oh, 
That was a bit, I feel a bit hurt by that, Andy. But I know you love me, so I can trust that actually you're saying this for the right reasons. You're not saying this to have a dig. You're saying this because you want to help shape me and you want me to be effective for Christ. Proverbs 19.25 says, Strike a scoffer and the simple will learn prudence. Reprove a man of understanding and he will gain knowledge. Effective discipline has to be learned from. But we also need to know how to deliver that to people. Don't just go around striking people. Difficulty in your life does not mean that God has forgotten you. You need to hear that. Difficulty in your life does not mean God has forgotten you. It doesn't even mean that he's punishing you. It doesn't work like that. Oh, I did this sin. Now God's going to have to make something bad happen to me. The reality of life is there are certain sins that have repercussions. If you drink to excess every single, drink alcohol to excess every single day, the repercussions of that will be some of your organs will be damaged. That's not God punishing you. That's just the laws of nature and cause and effect. God might be gracious to you and somehow you, that doesn't happen. But just because something bad has happened or something difficult is, is occurring doesn't mean God is punishing you. It might be that he's preparing you. He's training you. He's getting you fit and strong and lean and ready. And your root of discipline might look very different to someone else's. We talked about being poured out this morning. Bruce Lee said that when you, you know, be like water, water fills whatever container you put it in. Didn't think you'd hear Bruce Lee in the sermon, did you? <laughs> but whatever container you put it in, God's, God wants you to be ready for whatever container that your life is to be poured into. Whatever your race is, he's preparing you so that you can fit into that perfectly. James said, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. I think that's important, the many kinds. If you're facing the same trial over and over, maybe you should ask someone, is there something I'm meant to be learning from this? <laughs> the trials should vary. We're going to finish with an exhortation and a word of warning. Hebrews 12 says this, Therefore, understanding that God is training us, understanding that we're to consider Jesus, that we're being cheered on, understanding all of those things. Lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. Make straight paths for your feet. It's a, a blessing. We used to be praying for people to have straight paths, level paths. Make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And by it, many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he des desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. 
discipline teaches us to make straight paths for our feet. Teaches us this is an effective way to do something. This is the way to go. As I said, straight paths, this idea was a blessing. It's, it's not a difficult journey. You just go straight. We're to work towards holiness. Strive for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Now, we understand the context of striving for holiness. We've looked to the cross. We consider Jesus is my righteousness. I'm not, not doing this to please God. But I wanna, I'm not doing this to be acceptable to God, but I want to please God. I want to ask you a couple of questions. When did you last specifically repent of sins that you've committed? When did you last say to God, God, I'm sorry for this lie that I told or this sin that I committed, whatever it may be? When did you last confess a sin to someone else or ask someone else for forgiveness? That seems, I mean, maybe it doesn't to you. It can seem like quite a big deal, can't it? I sinned against you. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? That should be a normal pattern of Christian life. And it shouldn't be odd or weird. And when someone says that to you, or you hear someone saying that to someone else, you shouldn't think, oh, they're a bit of a rubbish Christian. Actually, you should think, Give me some of that humility, Lord. Let me tell you this. In the last 24 hours, I have definitely sinned. I might not know exactly what those sins were, but I'm pretty sure I have. I'm not going to speak for you because God knows your sins. I don't know them. But I'm pretty sure I have. I, I, well, I don't even know what day it was. I came in... Came in and Megan asked me to do something, and I was a little bit all like, oh, I've just got in the door. Like, I know you've just got in the door. I'm asking you to do something. But my reaction to it wasn't, it wasn't bad, but it wasn't the best. And I think, oh, I have to, now I'm going to have to say sorry for that. <laughs> um, but this should, that should be a normal part. If you're married, it should be a normal part of your marriage. If you've got close friends, it should be a normal part of your friendship to say, do you know what? You really annoyed me. And actually, when I, you know, I said some horrible things about you when you left, I'm really sorry. You know, I didn't mean them, but I was annoyed. Maybe you, you know, that might not be your issue. You might have different issues. But it's meant to be happening. We shouldn't be embarrassed about this. We're all sinners. We're all, you know, we all need the forgiveness of Jesus. We all need the grace of God. And it's not like there's this sin. Now I said, there are sins that have repercussions. And, you know, if you've murdered someone, we will need to go and talk to the police about that. But you can still obtain forgiveness if you're genuinely repentant. And we will still love you and we'll come and visit you. Hey, I mean, you know, I'm, let's be you know, serious about this. If you've done something wrong... You need to confess it, and we, and, but we, the church should love one another regardless of those things. That's how 
It's all, all of us broken people together. Good grief. If there's not tension and difficulty, there's not genuine relationship. The reason this is important is because as we do that, we stop roots of bitterness springing up. Stop it. It's dangerous. Bitterness causes problems. By many, by it, many become defiled. It's not just, oh, I'm not going to forgive that person, and you sort of get all a bit gnarled up inside. It just doesn't, and then that's it. You're just a bit miserable. No. What happens is, it's like that. Then someone else talks to you about that person. Oh, yeah, they're always doing that. Oh, yeah, they are always doing that. Oh, now we've got a little, little club against this person. Oh, they're always... And it spreads, doesn't it? We know these things. That's why we need to... It used to be the terminology was keep short accounts. If we won't heed discipline, if we won't learn, then instead of producing the fruit of righteousness, we produce bitterness. Strive for peace, don't delight in drama. It's a quote by a guy called Ron Swanson, a fictional character. He says to someone, don't confuse happiness. He says, live your life how you want, but don't confuse happiness for, uh, don't confuse drama for happiness. Oh, there's so much going on in my life. I must have such an exciting life. Don't confuse drama for happiness. I love it when there's just like, peaceful week. No, no major disasters this week. No like crazy incidents. No really low lows and super high highs. Those things are all, you know, they're all part of the rich tapestry of life. But we should strive for peace. That sort of steadiness. God, what you've got for me, I accept it and I'll follow you. I'm well out of sync with this, I think. Here we go. How should we respond to this then? Invest the premium time in looking at and considering Jesus. John Piper says about reading, he says you should read. It's good to read books about Jesus or listen to sermons. He says, give the best bit of your day to it, not the fag end of the day when you're tired. You know, let's give the best of our time to considering Jesus. Recognize and appreciate the discipline of the Father. Look for it in your life. This is difficult. This is painful. Is this me being, you know, stupid and causing pain for myself? Or is this God disciplining me and training me? Let's appreciate it and recognize it. Labor to keep in step with the Holy Spirit as he directs and shapes your life into one of holiness and peace. We work hard to keep in step with the Spirit. I'm going to pray for us and then the band are going to lead us in one more song uh, and then it'll be time to get a hot drink in your hands. It's cold in here today. But let's, let's, I'm going to pray for us and then let's give a, a good, our best efforts to just thinking about Jesus and what he's done for us and what the Father is trying to shape in our lives and how we can try to keep in step with the Spirit. Father, I thank you that you do discipline us. 
It's painful at the time, but it's, it's, there's joy in it because we know it's you recognizing us as legitimate children. We are yours. It's so reassuring to see it, Lord, at work in our lives. Lord, help us to hear the roar of the crowd of those witnesses who are saying, come on, look what, look what I did. Look what Jesus has done. Look what he's got for you to do. Help us to hear that roar in our ears, spurring us on. Help us to look at and consider Jesus. To follow our big brother, the one who we've been made co-heirs with. I want to be like him. When there's something that's designed to shame me, I want to despise that and walk through it saying, this is, I'm a child of God and he's got things for me to do. When there's temptation to be able to resist to the point of shedding blood. Lord, help us to pour our lives out to serve you. I pray we would look at and consider you. We would give the best of our time to you. I pray you would help us to recognize and appreciate your discipline in our lives, Father. Spirit, I pray you'd fall upon us again, that we would be able to walk in step with you, march in time with you, that we would be a church that forgives freely, that is open and honest and genuine with one another. In Jesus' name, amen.